Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. I haven't yet discussed the Zondo Commission final reports um, because I'm reserving them for my guest and colleague, director of the Freedom Advocacy Network, linked to the IRR, Herman Pretorius. Herman, welcome. So thank you very, very much for that um, warm welcome. It's the warmest thing in my vicinity. I think I must welcome myself because my hands are freezing. Um, <laughs> Herman, um, I, I, it's almost difficult to explain just how, own, I don't know what the right, the right word is for this, but the Zondo Commission report is like being drowned, not only in paper, uh, virtual paper, but although we are there's not a lot we do, that we don't already know about what we're seeing or what we're reading. It's just that the detail has an impact in the sense that the sheer depth of depravity in the state capture process across whether it's SAA or the security or the um, uh, state security services or the spies, SAA, it's, it, you read it and you think, I can't, I actually can't carry on doing this, which is in effect what, I did. I stopped reading about the specifics, and I wanted to look at and and chat to you about what you believe are the really important things that came out of the uh, out of the what's it? It's about five thousand word report if you put all the reports mm. together. So warm up those uh, those adenoids of yours and uh, tell me what you think. Well, the first thing that I think I I, I think is important to to realize here uh, is that we should be careful of uh, all South Africans, and I think especially uh, people in, in, in the you know traditional media space, should be very careful of assigning to Zondo a holy status that, uh, that it simply doesn't deserve. Mm-hmm. We must remember that commissions of inquiries are, in my view, and I think generally, objectively speaking, rather weak instruments. We only have to look back at what might be considered the original sin of state capture, the arms deal in the late mm-hmm. 90s, and look at the Sariti Commission that followed up on that, mm-hmm. that number one gave rise to many, many years of, uh, you know, just delaying and poo-pooing the, the, the effects and the real, you know, uh, the, the sort of Damocles, as it were, actually falling. And then once the commission had had concluded, the Sariti reports were challenged in all manner of judicial ways, up to such a point where large parts of large large parts of the uh, Sariti Commission's final reports have in factually have, have in fact you know mostly factually been emasculated through court action by the Commission simply failing to look at at, at some points of evidence. So my first warning would be that we shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't see in, in, in the Zondo Commission uh, something really substantive. While it is a start, it is by no means uh, something that promises action on any of the points uh, of, of corruption and state capture in South Africa. And we've already seen from the last four years um, of, of the commission that there have been ample, ample uh, evidence put before the commission that might have led to prosecutorial action in other, you know, uh, areas of, of, of the world where, where corruption is is seen to be a real political banger. But here in South Africa, it, there's, there's a sort of a slowness to act. So that would be my first thing, is 
while this is useful, we should be careful not to attribute it to the characteristics of, you know, absolute salvation. From um, in fact, from what you said, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you, uh, because essentially, here's the irony, is that the government has denuded us denuded the institutions that should be carrying out that sort of function to such an extent that the the revelations that they have been denuded con there's not much they can probably do about it mightn't the perhaps quote unquote best thing to come out of the zondo commission in all its gory detail is that it comes out at a time when the anc is becoming weakened and its its effect its political effect may be stronger than its legal effect I think that's quite right. The real value for South Africans in Zondo lies in the uh, the sort of credibility it gives to many things that we've suspected and mm. known. And um, while I'm very skeptical of South Africa's traditional media scene, one has to give kudos to um, the investigative journalists who've uh, really for the last decade uh, done South Africa proud in many ways uh, for all their ills. Uh, one has to give credit to mm. people like Jacques Poe and uh, Poli van Veik, people who've really uh, educated South Africans on, on the extent of corruption and the extent of state capture. Now, one might uh, go further and say, well, perhaps they, they were too eager to attribute corruption to state capture and state capture to corruption, not looking past it to the policy and ideological background. Mm. What it does do is it takes many of the data points that have been, you know, exposed by uh, journalists and give them credibility. These are now, as it were, findings mm. and quasi-judicial findings. Now, for, for the listener, it's important to, to realize that you have courts that can make judicial findings, and then you have these commissions and other entities like uh, the public protector that can make quasi-judicial findings, findings that are almost backed by the power of a court with the weight of evidence and the evidentiary rules before a court. So it does give credibility to this. And I think some uh, people like the DA, um, especially someone like Leon Schreiber, mm. and recently Cope as well, have really done well of understanding how these quasi-judicial findings can now be actioned. Because mm. the last thing South Africans must expect is for President Ramaphosa and this current ANC state to action on anything that has come out of the Zondo Commission. Well, I think they've uh, pretty much destroyed the institutions, or they, they are limping along. Can can I pick you up pick up on on President Ramaphosa? Um, because I, I remember watching some of the uh, television footage of of the of him being uh, uh, questioned at the at the hearings, yeah. and I thought. He was very much his uh, usual sort of smooth self with no mu not much substance. But I have to admit, I was quite uh, I was quite impressed by the extent to which the actual um, the findings of the commission really quite damning in describing essentially what I saw. They described um, his comments as opaque. He seemed to he know little at of what was happening at first hand and. Uh, uh, he had, and they actually say he, he had no real insight into the workings of government. Mm. Now, I have never been a fan. I've, I thought he was, uh, other than being a committed socialist, he's also uh, actually a man who can't really make decisions of any magnitude without having sort of consulted with the entire country. But that is quite something for 
a judicial officer of, of uh, well, our judicial officer, our chief justice, mm. in effect, to to come out to actually say, I could have done this, I could have that, I should have done this. It's it's extraordinary. It is, and it is rather extraordinary that uh, a, a judicial officer, the chief justice, from his position as the head of a quasi-judicial entity bears somehow the responsibility for to, 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 to tell the president how corruption works and what he could have done to stop it. It is, uh, Ramaphosa has this odd relationship with the Zonda and the Zonda Commission, where on the one hand, it is, it could be seen, I think it is broadly seen, as the flagship project for the Ramaphosa administration to move the ANC government on from you know, uh, the decade of corruption, quote, unquote. I think that corruption is, is significantly deeper entrenched than just a decade. But mm. it, let's let's go with the narrative for the moment. However, in this final part of the Zondo Commission report, part five, President Ramaphosa himself, as you say, isn't spared of criticism. And in fact, the picture that emerges of Ramaphosa is not really a flattering one. It is one either in which he is deliberately... Uh, uh, opaque in, in, in some factual claims, or it is one where he was ignorant, uh, as you point out, on the workings of government, or it is one where he actively uh, uh, propagated um, the ideological approach of the ANC in cadre deployment, being the head of the cadre deployment committee of the ANC for five years between 2012, I think, and 2017. And then lastly, it also causing to question his political judgment. If you look at people like uh, Arthur Fraser and uh, David Mahlobo, who were after President Ramaphosa became president in 2018, in the... Sorry, he deployed and redeployed the positions of actually some influence. So we are here in a situation where Ramaphosa's flagship anti-corruption project implicates him almost as a, 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 a sort of lame and relatively unthinking accomplice at best. That's, that's, that's really what, um, what, what's extraordinary is, is the, effectively it's extremely embarrassing because it shows Ramaphosa to uh, be complicit. He, he, he kept saying that he decided to resist from within. That was the, the, this, the, the position he took uh, vis-a-vis the ANC under the when he was deputy president to president to uh, yeah. uh, Jacob Zuma. Now we all know that you know there's not a lot to be said from about fighting from within because if you're a, a lone voice or you're not the majority voice, you're not going to stand up fighting for very long. So everything seemed to be. Uh, let's be honest. I, I actually think he's saying I decided to stay and and resist from within, and I, and that he's just not telling the truth. And it says. I think it says an enormous about an enormous amount about the man that he's actually rather shallow and, and completely lacks integrity. Yeah, I, I think the the problem with Ramaphosa is he is politically blunderous uh, and ineligible. <laughs> he's seen as let's take him at his best. In no sense has he ever scored a political victory that could underline his judgment. Mm. Shrewd. He was outmaneuvered by Mbeki to succeed Mandela when he clearly had Mandela's endorsement and um, then he sort of left politics in a huff. Then he ran for the deputy presidency of the ANC without any real opposition. So that election he won 
by no fault of his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he ran for the presidency and failed to translate a massive, massive political advantage countrywide mm. um, into a significant victory in the governing party. Mm. Um, and one thing that the ANC, sort of similar like the Conservative Party in the UK, have always been known for is that they are ruthless with their leaders when they suspect their leaders have become electoral liabilities. Mm. Um, so while Ron Pauza was by far and away the ANC's greatest political and electoral asset, somehow he 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 managed to win the presidency with the help of David Mabuza and squeezed mm. in uh, into a political position. Then he went into the 2019 election um, where he saw the ANC uh, decline in vote support. But one might you know be kind enough to give him some some uh, you know credit there that the the, the defeat might have been bigger um, had it or not the defeat, the decline. But now we look at the situation with Arthur Fraser and you do not see a president that is politically shrewd mm. or aware of how to actually wield power and influence and counter narratives. Mm. And this is the picture that emerges from even his 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 most ardent supporters, that this is a good man, just slightly inept, a good mm. man just slightly unable to, to as his in his position as president of the largest, most influential party in South Africa and the country, is at the same time the underdog leader of the opposition from within government. Mm. Um, and it's a very convenient, it's a very, very convenient narrative for, for Ramaphosa because it sort of keeps good, honest, decent South Africans, unquote, on the side. Mm. But he does not come away from this um, looking strong or uh, like like much of an anti-corruption mm. leader. Yeah, well, having had over 60% in favorability rating, even before this and after the 2019 election, between the Farmgate scenario and the findings in this inquiry, he has literally wasted an extraordinary amount of political capital. And... Uh, I mean, he just hasn't been able to 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 come back with anything. Even even if even if he said something wasn't true, at least it it sound at least if it sounded strong, one would be impressed. Can I get on to the issue the the, the sorry the commission's findings on cadre deployment? Because there's basically a lot of feeling amongst us that. Cadre deployment was the seed to the perhaps the scale of the corruption uh, by by virtue of its very nature. Yes, and in this regard, there's a there's a very telling paragraph in in in, in the findings uh, of of this commission, and it is paragraphs six hundred and twenty two and paragraph six hundred and twenty. Three. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps it's worth quoting uh, just just a bit. Paragraph 622. It must be noted that President Ramaphosa was the chairperson of the deployment committee for a period of five years between December 2012 and December 2017, and that many of these appointments and indeed the excesses of state capture occurred during this period. And and Zondo for the first time really associates the endemic corruption that South Africa has seen with this decision of the ANC to accept CADA deployment as its official party line. This mm. is very, very welcome development. I think it's actually where Chief Justice Zondo is at his strongest 
in his findings mm. because it is he says something that you know the IRR and and civil liberty entities and even the DA to their credit have been saying uh, since the start of this program I mean uh, I mean one remembers Tony Leon warning and being jeered in mm. Um, saying that, you know, data deployment will lead to the collapse of governance in South Africa. And it just goes to show that at the heart of any state failure is an ideological decision. Mm. And here for the first time in black and white with the credibility of a quasi-judicial finding, uh, data deployment is declared uh, essentially unconstitutional, though it isn't, of course, a ruling, so it doesn't mm. have unconstitutionality. But it gives a massive opportunity uh, for those of us who who decry cater deployment, and to a certain extent, it gives us a, uh, uh, so much, you know, what it, uh, ammunition mm. to show that cater deployment is not a victimless crime. Mm. It is the heart of state failure. It is mm. the heart of a child drowning in feces in a pit toilet, probably. Mm. If you deep enough, you will see cater deployment behind it because incompetent party loyalists were deployed to positions that at the beginning of the process might have seemed, you know, uh, p- uh, peripheral or not mm. sensitive. But once you fill the peripheral positions with meritless lackeys, you have to start filling the important positions with meritless lackeys. Mm. And perhaps that's the theme that runs from part one of the Zondo Commission through to part five from Dudu Mayeni to Molefe. Uh, across the board, that cater deployment saw the collapse of this uh, government that came into office with not much, but in its first term managed to accomplish a lot of good mm. things. And then mm. from that point onwards, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you really see the rot sitting in picking up full steam speed under Jacob Zuma. Well, what's intriguing, as you've alluded to with cater deployment, is that it's it's a policy decision of the ANC. It's not, a, as you say, it's not bound in law, it, but it required the setting up of uh, committees to monitor it, to ensure it happened at all levels in, in, in government. And the fact that, that Sorama Poser sat as the head of the committee for the period that he did under Jacob Zuma, I think is the most damning of the lot because it means it was a process that he recognized and bought into and subscribe to, even though he can't find some of the minutes, if they were ever if they were ever taken, and it's it it's there's something there's something really galling about the fact that you have an almost business-like approach to a an idea that is has got to result in failure for the majority of people. Mm. And and even today you have uh, cater deployments. Uh, defenders who say that no, 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 cater deployment. Um, I, 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 I have once had. A, I think it was on this uh, very radio station, um, a, a panel discussion with the leader of 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 a prominent uh, chamber of commerce, saying that no, no, cater deployment is not the problem. It hasn't been right. If you look at China, cater deployment is <laughs> very, very well there, and and I think that that's it's it's illustrative of the of the ideological commitment to this position. Uh, of course, it ignores the fact that in, in, in China, it's uh, it, you have such a large population and such a large, large membership of the uh, CCP that you just 
the, the, the chances of finding a competent Chinese cater is significantly higher than finding a competent ANC cater. So yeah. we, we, we put aside the, the, the you know, disanalogous nature of these two examples, uh, but you look deeper and you find a commitment to an ideological decision that, you know, it is fine to capture the state. I mean, what is cater deployment other than state capture? Mm. Fair enough. One might say, no, state capture has a more nefarious personal enrichment element. But what really, it's just a hop, skip and a jump away from, it's got party political enrichment purposes. Mm. Um, so cater deployment is at the heart of this and all credit to COPE and the DA um, who are now running with this. And I do think it is a great moment to push this politically. And and President Ramaphosa, for the first time really has has has, has to deal with this um, on, a, on, a, on a personal level with the Farmgate situation and his involvement in cadre deployment now coming in very short succession. Um, and I'm very, very eager to see the next round of internal and external opinion polling to see how this has affected his. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say that uh, it, it's a bit like people, um, supporters of communism often say, you know, we, when the fact that communism has failed, it just hasn't, you know, you know, it hasn't been done properly yet. So your businessman is saying that cater deployment hasn't been done properly yet. Yes. Can I, I, I just, to end, I just want to ask you, um, Judge Sonder makes a, couple, a few recommendations about uh, entities that should be created to reduce the possibility of corruption and the and the uh, attraction to it for example he he suggests a national charter and code of conduct uh, on the issue which should have the force of law and probably every public servant should sign it and then an independent charter against corruption in public procurement which would require you know would involve the establishment of specific uh, procurement officers to monitor this more protection for whistleblowers which i couldn't agree with Procurement officer to actually create a official body for procurement officers as a profession, enhance transparency and uh, the protection of, for accounting officers. And this latter one has obviously come about because the mm -hmm. Auditor General's staff have been subject to uh, intimidation and harassment when they've tried to audit the, uh, some of the municipalities. I'm Am I being too negative in thinking that you know, you can put these things on paper, but if the if the attraction and the incentive is great enough, it's not going to matter. People are still going to try and do it anyway. In other words, you rely on the culture that the people at the top instill in the environment, not 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 some document that has the force of law. Yes. Um, no. I, I I sort of share your skepticism on on this, and and you know credit to to Justice Chief Justice Zondo. The, the, he he tries to to come up with some solutions, but I do think what what is revealing is the idea that to stop state capture and corruption, we have to start doing some things. <laughs> He doesn't really consider that we have to stop doing something. Yes, <laughs> um, which, which, which would help. <laughs> which would help. It's 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 sort of like uh, uh, refusing to to take a step back. It's okay. There's this policy. It's a problem. Um, let's add another policy. Uh, it it it's 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 almost counterproductive in that it adds just another layer of bureaucracy. Mm, and mm. Paper it. It sounds so appealing. I mean, a charter against corruption. How how wonderful. But um, excuse me, but we have that. 
We have that. It's a, we have a few of those actually. It's called the Constitution. Constitution, exactly. It's called the Parliamentary Ethics Code. It's 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 called the the uh, Municipal Municipal Finance Management Act. It's you know we we have these instruments. Uh, and another instrument really won't do the trick. Mm. And this annoys me. I wonder if these institutions, if they ever get created will become like, you know, the Zondo institutions at <laughs> Zuma years, because then these Zondo institutions uh, will be will be very similar to chapter nine institutions. Mm, mm, it's mm. just adding another layer of control and bureaucracy where you are trying to shield. And this is a very cynical thing, but I'm going to say it. You are trying to shield the South African voter from his own decisions yes. at some point. You have to say, my word, another entity, another charter, another piece of paper won't do the thing. South African voters, the ball is in your court. If you don't like to see this, then you've got to change government. Then you've got to change the way things are run. Because a new set of solutions to an old set of problems is just another layer of bureaucracy. And if capture of the one, if, if capture of the primary state is achievable, and then why not just capture all the secondary? Yeah, exactly. At some point, you have to terminate the ill at the heart of this whole thing. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I do agree with you uh, completely. And basically what it means is as many people as possible, if not everyone who, who is eligible to vote, must vote. Herman, thank you so much for coming in with those insights. Um, even if they are a little cynical, I think they help to guide us as to the responsibility we must take to make sure the right people are governing this country. So once again, thank you very much, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. A great pleasure, Sora, and perhaps a last notification, from, or just a last note from my side, is if every voter who did not vote for this government in the last election convinces one non-voter to vote in the next election, there's a new majority in the blink of an eye. It's doable. It's that simple. Thank you.